and uh, welcome to Conrad Life Report, episode six. Took a week off, uh, not on purpose, but last week was a pretty, pretty busy one. Um, trying to remember, what did I do? I guess I could pull up Foursquare Swarm and look what I did, but um, let's see, Wednesday did something, um, and Thursday did something, and then I was like, oh, well, I'll just get around to doing it maybe this, maybe on the weekend, but then didn't get around doing it on the weekend, I thought, well, it's just, I just will, I'll wait a week then, but um, let's see. Oh, yeah, so I'm looking at Foursquare now. So Wednesday night, I meant to do it Thursday night. I think I fell asleep Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I went out to dinner with um, some friends of mine from high school, my friends, uh, Pat and Tucker and Joe, and we went to Prime Meats. And that evening went on longer than, um, well, I won't say longer than expected because it went on as... As long as I expected, I guess. But uh, it was a great, great night. But when I got home at 11-ish, um, was just not in any shape to to record the life report. And then Friday night, I went to Nick Cave at the Barclay Center. More on that in a bit. Um, so Friday night was out. Then Saturday, had my usual Saturday activities of... Uh, going to the coffee shop and before the rest of the family wakes up and reading old musician magazines and sitting by the window and also going running, then taking Oliver to his ninja class, uh, going out for pizza for lunch with Oliver like we do every Saturday. And then Saturday night we watched uh, one of my nieces. So Saturday night was out. And then by Sunday, I thought, well, I'll just wait till, oh, you know, Sunday morning, I almost recorded this too. And because I had an hour and a half or so at home by myself and it was quiet. Um, and then I had everything set up, including the microphone and heard the keys in the in the front door and Oliver comes rushing in. So Sunday was out. And at that point, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to wait till the week goes by. So here we are, episode six. Um, being recorded on Halloween, October 31st, uh, 2018. So welcome back to the Conrad Life Report. Um, so yeah, so today was Halloween. So Halloween um, is obviously a very fun day um, and evening. So Oliver, of course, got dressed up the... The costume this year was he was the Empire State Building, and this came out of his deep passion for um, architecture and design and buildings and maps and all of which he is very into. Um, New York City-based architecture and geography especially, um, because that's where we live. But also, it's pretty, um, there's a lot to obviously dig into here in New York City. And we have books here that were my books that are now his books too, um, about New York City architecture and stuff. And so he's gotten really into buildings and that's also fueled a lot of our 
um, New York City ferry trips on the weekends where we identify our favorite buildings um, from the ferry boats. But anyway, so he was the Empire State Building. So you may be wondering where he gets that costume. And um, my wife, Julie, made the costume. I'm very impressed. It took her a long time with a lot of trial and error. But now I feel like she could run an assembly line of making um, handmade Empire State Building costumes because she knows what she's doing now. And it really looked sharp, um, especially in the 5% of the time when Oliver actually stood up and had had the top on his head um, on straight without bending his head entirely down so that the uh, top of the Empire State Building was facing nine degrees outwards. But um, it was this really awesome thing. It was slate gray, a kind of foam material with black mesh type stuff um, cut into to make it to 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 sort of render the appearance of the um, vertical window looking just just the appearance um, with some darker semicircles and and squares and rectangles uh, meant to evoke the uh, bottom floor larger windows and base of the building. And I guess up to the main, at the top of the main pedestal, meaning like up to 86 floors or whatever, that went up to Oliver's, I guess, you know, the bottom of his neck, covering his torso. And then up on his head was the crown, the top of the building, which includes the, yeah, the 86th street, uh, 86th floor, I keep saying street, 86th floor observatory. And then, you know, as it, as it thins out into sort of the needle, 103rd floor observatory, and then the, the antenna itself. And then Julie rigged up these sort of these lights from Mike, all of this was from Michael's, uh, the store, the craft store, um, which explained the last few weeks and random times on the weekend, Julie would just announce that she had to go to Michael's and would leave. Um, so, so these little like um, lights, almost uh, like string lights, like Christmas lights, but really tiny. And the first few times she kind of wrapped it around the top and she said, does this look like the Empire State Building? And I would give her honest feedback, which was that it looked like something awesome, but not particularly the Empire State Building because wrapping the lights around it made it didn't really convey the top of the building. And I went to, uh, I went to bed Monday night or something. And then the Tuesday morning, she said she had completely redone the top. She said, so how does this, what does this look like? And I said, Oh my goodness, that looks exactly like the empire state building. And that's amazing. And you know, she just kind of like allowed herself a smile and just silently like nodded. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Oliver really enjoyed it. Um, and he wore the costume for a surprisingly long time. Normally, he doesn't wear these things for very long. The only issue was trick-or-treating in the neighborhood was that he got really into looking down at his sort the um, pumpkin carrier in which he got his candy, and he would look down at it and stare into it and sort of spin it around. So um, that's not great to begin with because the sidewalks are so crowded and, you know, he was going to run into people, but also because he's wearing this tall empire state building antenna on his head. And so when he looks down, it sticks straight out. And so it was kind of like stabbing people and I was worried it was going to break and the lights were going to fall off or whatever, but overall it went really well. And he had a, he had a great time trick or treating for um, the very short time they did. We only went about three blocks, which is more than enough in this neighborhood in like Carroll gardens, Cobble Hill, uh, we went 
with uh, one of his cousins, one of my nieces, because the other one went off with my brother-in-law to find her friends. And so my younger niece, who was dressed as the Statue of Liberty, came along with us. So it was perfect because it was the Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty walking down the street. So overall successful Halloween. Then we came back, hung out on the stoop, gave out candy, talked to our neighbors, had random friends both by... uh, expectedly and unexpectedly come by and just just a just a great great evening on the block um so yeah halloween i wonder what he'll be next year um like we think maybe an astronaut because he's starting to get into the solar system but um we'll see there's a long time between now and 364 days from now so that's halloween um Speaking of Saturn um, and the solar system, um, I finished the Three Body Trilogy, Three Body Problem Trilogy by Sixin Liu. Um, finally, so I, I think it was, turns out to be about fifteen or sixteen hundred pages the trilogy, and it was fantastic. It is so far, <laughs> so grand in scope the plot. Um, I would say that the best written book is still the first one, the three body problem best written because it's just poetic and it's, it's, it's like a real mesmerizing song like work of literature. The next two volumes, the dark forest and the final one, uh, deaths end are both outstanding. They lose a little bit in just in unimpeachable literary, uh, gravitas but they are just fantastic page turners and they're still better than much of the sci-fi i read in terms of um actual um writing (laughs) uh writing quality but holy moly what a story um just highly highly recommend i recommended the three this all these books to a friend of mine two weeks ago and um to uh my friend amir and he wrote texted me tonight and he's just like oh my gosh this is great can't wait to read the next two so three body problem that trilogy's um i'm done with that i have i finally allowed myself to go on to reddit and other online resources to read about it and there wasn't as much stuff as i was expecting slash hoping sometimes when i'm really bored i go to two particular reddit subreddits one of which is general star wars it's called star wars leaks where i just get to try and see if anything is leaked from the upcoming star wars movie um, episode nine and then i go to twin peaks to read about people's theories about twin peaks the return um, because that was my obsession for a year it's still mildly an obsession but because I've just put so much thought into <laughs> what it means. But there's not much on Reddit about the three-body problem, or at least I'm missing it. I I, I'm, I found this subreddit called the three-body problem, so you would think everything would be there. But um, anyway, another interesting three-body problem-related issue media-wise is that if you Google it, it turns out that Amazon, there were a lot of, there were a lot of um, articles written in April or May about Amazon Amazon Studios purchasing the rights to these books and that they were going to make it into um, their Game of Thrones level, massive, um, huge budget 
sci-fi fantasy uh, series, but I've noticed that there wasn't anything confirmed. So I would guess it's still not confirmed because I couldn't find anything that said confirmed. There were a couple of mainstream outlets saying like this is about to happen, and then there was nothing. There's nothing that follows up saying it happened. So. Who knows? I'm happy to watch these in the four years from now or whatever that it'll appear. It's obviously going to appear somewhere um, because this is these books are bestsellers. Um, but happy to wait because I'm happy to take these years to think about what I just read and to continue to um, to have the images that my imagination procured sort of solidify in my mind, so that when I actually do see some sort of visual interpretation of it, um, it won't stomp over what I what I had in my in my head um so in the middle of death's end uh which was over 600 pages I actually took a quick break and read brief answers to big questions which was the the Stephen Hawking book that came out two weeks ago obviously posthumous release he apparently had written most of it before he passed away in the spring Um, but given the nature of the book, which is essentially just essays, um, talking about these big, quote unquote, big topics, um, his estate finished what he hadn't finished and just drawing on his many published letters and articles and speeches. So, um, his brief answers to revolve around these big questions, uh, questions like, Will artificial intelligence overpower us? Is backwards time travel possible? Um, what is the nature of black holes? All these just great, great reads. And he, he he writes in a way where it's mostly it's mostly quite graspable. There were a couple of times during the, I think the black hole chapter where I had to reread a paragraph five or six times in a row to because I wanted to make sure I was, I, I got it before I moved on. Um, but it was great. Um, I guess it's a good sign that I, I was so into it that I, I really wanted to get it that, that badly. And also there was only a couple of times in the book where I did have to really stop and go back. So that's also a testament to, um, how, how smoothly Hawking was able to communicate this stuff in his words. Um, great writer. So if you see that, um, on the shelves or on the display tables at your favorite bookstore, uh, get it, or I'm assuming libraries will have a lot of copies. It is really good. And it's a fast read. And it's only like 200 pages and some, they're not big, dense pages. It's just a fun book to read. And if you read on a commute in which you don't drive, it's easy to hold. Unlike the three body problem books, which, I sort of had to like um, make sure I had my stance right and had enough room on the subway before I, act, I brought it out of my bag to open because it was a big thing. But this small Steve Ho- Stephen Hawking hardcover, you could just whip out quickly and just like hold it easily. And so anyway, those books are recommended. Next week I'll have a lot more to talk about. Um, I made a major, uh, made major <laughs> tonal tonal shift in in. And what I'm reading, I've just started the um, My Struggle, book one by Carl Ove uh, Knausgaard, the Norwegian author. And it is 
I'm 50 or 60 pages in and it is outstanding so far. It's really great. It's completely different from what I've been reading for the past month or so. And I'm happy about that because even though I love it, I'm not it's 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 not plot heavy in the way that the three body problem trilogy was so i'm not dying to read it every waking second because it was almost unhealthy how much how driven i was to finish the three body problem because i was just so into finding out what happened with this um the beauty of it is in the description of day-to-day activities so even though it's fulfilling to read (laughs) i'm 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 not just thirsting to read it at all times and 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 wondering if um you know he's going to um i mean i know he's not going to come into contact with aliens so i can hold off on 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 racing to to read it but it's excellent so maybe i'll have it finished by the next life report i doubt it because it seems to be also a long this one's a long book like 500 pages and since it's since it has such a tone to it such a um dreamy a dreamy aspect to it you don't read it fast you read it you sort of sink into it just kind of like you it's almost like you're nodding or you're mesmerized like somebody sitting across a candlelit table um at dinner telling you the story that you're that you're just spellbound by that's what it's like so it doesn't lend itself to a quick read but it's fine with me um i really enjoy it and i guess the completest is in me is going to demand that i read the entire series uh now that i know i like it i'm i'm sure i'll like the rest and i the new one just came out and i think it's a thousand pages which is um okay but um i'm i'm up for it so uh let's see hold on one second here jeez my leg is falling asleep i have to i'm sitting on the floor when i do this hold on Ah, that's better. Okay. So, next thing I was going to talk about is that dinner at Prime Meats that I mentioned earlier that I went, um, my friend. So, Prime Meats is this, if you don't know this restaurant here in Brooklyn in Carroll Gardens, it's on Court Street down near the bottom of Court Street near Hamilton Avenue in the BQE. And it was, it's been open for, I guess, 10, 10 or 12 years. And it was by the Frankie's Brothers, like Frankie's in, in New York. They have like a mini rest, mini rest, restaurant, mini empire. Anyway, Prime Meats is, well, like kind of a meat heavy. Um, I hate saying the word meat. Anyway, um, menu, it's germ, German-ish. So is it like really good steak? Has a good burger that I don't think they're dying for you to order, but it is outstanding. Um, and Germans have like, like schnitzel and uh, bratwurst and etc. Spatzel, but it is a turn of the twentieth century. Turn of the century. I guess you have to say turn of the twentieth century. Turn of the century. Um, dark wood mirror, uh, soft lamplight. Great, great, just vibe and great place. It's got a good vibe when it's empty, and it's got a good vibe when it's packed. Uh, just kind of like does it well. Anyway, they're closing. Uh, even though I, th- I would think they're successful, but they're closing in a few weeks to merge it with, with its sister restaurant, which is one door over Frankie's four, five, seven. And even though there is another storefront in the middle of the two restaurants, they connect at the back. And I guess it's going to be all one sort of property with a semi different address wine bar where the 
bar of the current Prime Meats restaurant is. And you'll be able to walk through between the restaurants through the kitchen, which connects the two, a la the famous walking through the kitchen scene in Goodfellas. So I guess I'm happy to try that. But I went in for a drink after a haircut a few weeks ago, and Jeff, the longtime Prime Eats bartender, was there. And uh, he was telling me about the changes, which is that it's not going to be too different. It'll be great, which I would, you know, I'm not surprised he would say, but I believe him, and I believe <laughs> I believe anything they do will be great. But it is the end of a culinary era here in South Brooklyn, but um, at least it's not going away fully. The, basically, it'll still be the same vibe, the same people. Um, so I will report back on that in a few weeks. The word is it's going to be mid-November and they're only going to be shut down for um, a couple of days. They're going to do it really fast, he said, the turnaround, the turnover. So yeah, good dinner at Prime Meats, good beer. And it's through Prime Meats that I discovered the local brewery Folks Beer, uh, Folks B-I-E-R, which is on Luqueer Street here between Clinton and um, and Hamilton Avenue. And it is a great little brewery that now has a tasting room, been open for over a year. But the brewery was started by a Prime Meats slash Frankie's waiter. And he started getting his beer on tap. And the first time I noticed it was a couple of years ago when I walked into Prime Meats to meet a friend at the bar. And I looked up at the beers on tap and there were these two beers from a brewery I'd never heard of, Folk's Beer. And they both had Grateful Dead song title names. So, of course, I drank them and asked about them. And it turns out it ended up opening um, in the neighborhood. So, anyway, that's Prime Meats. Uh... Let's see, other news I didn't get around to last week to say, oh my gosh, we're already 22 minutes. Um, my friend Henry was in town from London, Henry Brill, his, he's a musician, his stage name is John Joseph Brill, really great guy, I met him when I was on tour with Gabriel and the Hounds, um, my Taka Taka bandmate Gabe, his solo project, when we were touring in the UK and Ireland um, about six years ago, and Henry was part of our little crew in Shepherd's Bush, London. Um where I used to live in the 90s, and then Henry was living there then. Now, uh, And we have a bunch of friends, a Brooklyn Shepherd's Bush connection. Henry is now moving to Nashville. So, and he's, since he, he has an American, he's a London, a Liverpool, I think, Liverpool mother. He grew up in Liverpool and London. His father's from Marin County in the Bay Area. So Henry is a diehard 49ers fan. So he was in town for one day, Last Sunday, and we went to local sports bar Union Grounds at, for watch the four o'clock football games, which is the Niners and the Rams. And Henry brought along his godfather, um, who lives in Prospect Heights, and Gabe, my bandmate slash friend, and Henry's friend Gabe. We he met up, and we had a few hours of just hanging out with a really cool little four-person crew which has never been together before and probably never will be again and just watching football and talking about music and talking about the music industry and signing deals and this and that and just really fun and he is henry is really interesting because he's this really (laughs) tall bearded man with long curly hair 
really striking. Looks like he could have been an, a member of, say, any number of um, British, British major British folk bands of the early 70s. Um, really striking English accent, and boy does he know his 49ers um, players' stats, strategy, and the NFL in general, and he would loudly yell at the screen with really insightful commentary. And after a while, the entire band uh, bar got to be interested in what he'd say because, like, who's this really tall, English bearded, long haired guy that probably knows more about the NFL than anyone in here? Um, so that was a fun uh, late afternoon slash early evening. And look forward to the next time Henry's in New York, which will hopefully be in the next couple of months. Um, let's see. So last Friday went to see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds at the Barclay Center. Um, it's amazing that Nick Cave plays arenas now. There was a really good article in Billboard. If you Google uh, a Billboard article on Nick Cave on on um, that was published on October 26th, it answers these questions which I had, which is how did Nick Cave become, quote unquote, this big? And basically it's that, A, he deserves it. Um, artistically, because he's getting better and better, and B, he has come into like just his quote-unquote team, like his management and bookers and everything, just kind of smartly positioned it and drew drew on lessons learned. Like, um, like I think one of the people involved with Nick's business um, was involved with Leonard Cohen's late career resurgence, where by the end Leonard Cohen was selling out arenas. Which is insane because even though he's always acclaimed and always popular, he was for much of the 80s and 90s when I was really following his career and when he was releasing great albums back then, he was the type to sell out, say, two or three nights at a prestigious theater in a major city. But, you know, by the end, he was selling out the garden. Uh, Nick Cave has finally ascended to that level, and, and the show is just incredible. I mean, you know, for decades nick cave and the bad seeds of this reputation to be just mesmerizing live performers that can can keep a large room just silent with with the quietest most like foreboding song but then it explodes into volume and intensity just um really great and the last two songs he brought a ton of people from the crowd onto the stage um, for two songs, one of which was Stagger Lee, his old reworking of you know many songs written about the quote unquote Stagger Lee song um, from the early 20th century, but it's just like a very risque <laughs> um, old American folk song lyric, and he was just belting it out. And then the second song was Push the Sky Away, the title track from his previous record, which is quiet and beautiful. And you just really have to give yourself to this song. And he had all of the people on stage just sit down and then he would raise them and they would stand and he would like have them come sit back down. It was almost like this undulating wave that just beautifully provided this visual to, to the song. And oh, what a show. What a show. Um, I think this was the end of his kind of tour for um, Skeleton Key, the last record, which came out, I think, last year. Um, or was it right in 2016? But um, I will not miss a Nick Cave show again. It's just, I mean, he is 
it was cathartic and I mean, I enjoyed every second of it. Every second of it, I enjoyed this show. Um, I went with my friend Alec Bemis, who had an extra list spot, and he was so excited to show me. It was in, much in the same way that I'm excited to take friends to Grateful Dead-related concerts or to tell them about it or turn them on a tapes or music. Alec was very into... He was so excited to take, be taking me to my first Nick Cave show, and I told him I, I've been like a casual admirer of Nick Cave for decades, but I'd never seen him. Um, so obviously I can't call myself anything more than casual if I hadn't seen him. And he was just like, he's like, this is great. I'm going to be shepherding you through your first Nick Cave experience. I'm so excited. And we had a great time. Just ran into um, friends there, of course. I really like the Barclays Center. Um, I like it as an arena. I like it as an architectural thing. Obviously it had controversial beginnings, um, eminent domain wise, but and of course, the owner of it, and the real estate property, et cetera. But I think as a building, it's actually quite beautiful. It perfectly fits into where it sits um, in Brooklyn. And if you're not sitting in the upper bowl for a concert, it's fantastic. If you are sitting in the upper bowl, you're not really going to have good sound. But I like it as an arena. Um, it's nice and new, and the staff are really friendly. Um, so that was Nick Cave. What else was I going to talk about? Running out of time. I don't like these things. I like to keep these things at a certain, like, sort of short, short amount of time. Um, I think I don't can't remember if I mentioned this in a past episode, but I like to keep these podcasts to the approximate length of my personal commute to work, which is thirty to thirty-five minutes on the F train, and that's just a funny peg of mine, like um, because. Obviously, when I listen to a podcast, it's great when I start at the beginning of the commute, it's over by the end. But also, the philosophy behind that is similar to when Phillips was inventing the compact disc in the 80s. And when they were deciding on what they should, where they should cap the length of it, tech-wise, on this like plastic disc, they decided to, to use uh, the length of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony as the guide. So that's why CDs are that long, or at least they were back then. I think they got longer at some point back then, too, tech-wise. But um, it was meant to, as long as it could hold the Ninth Symphony by Beethoven, um, that was the length, that was what dictated the length, the industry standard length of compact discs. Um, obviously, it's convenient that rock and jazz and other albums also <laughs> will fit into that. But anyway, so yeah, following the Phillips uh philosophy of of pegging this you know to a certain thing like a length i'm gonna try and keep it at oh, we're at 31 minutes I'll, I'll allow myself a couple more minutes more music i was listening to uh still on the high from that bonnie prince billy show from a couple weeks ago i was listening to songs of love and horror which is will oldham's new album which is covering songs that he's already come out with but reinterpreting them just him and an acoustic guitar Really great. Of course, the first song is I See a Darkness, which is his just about his most famous song. It's good he put it at the beginning because also the way Spotify works, you know, you're going to listen to the beginning, the first song. But it's really in the second song is Ohio River Boat Song. I've mentioned just one of my favorite songs ever. Beautiful version on here. Um, and I was talking, I was texting with my friend Brett Valley, who was telling me how he he bought the original 45 by Palace Brothers or Palace Music or Palace of um, Ohio River Boat Song at Wuxtry Records in Athens, Georgia back in the 90s. 
Um, that's pretty awesome memory of his. And the other thing I'm really into is the new Beirut song, Gallipoli, which is just, you know, just a gorgeous melody that swells and just is like uplifting on the order of other, you know, classic Beirut songs. Um, I was thinking of like the major key soaringness of it, uh, joyful, the joyfulness of it reminds me of the very last 15 seconds of a Sunday smile from the flying club cup where it just, just sort of, it's 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 like leaves you it's it's like a panoramic uh shot like a sweeping cinematic shot except instead of like this beautiful sunset or landscape it's just this gorgeous melody just that glides on on air anyway so yeah gallipoli which is on if you look on a streaming service it's like the you know latest single or you know it's an album but it's only like you know the one song however they do it um let me look at my notes was that everything did i really like get through everything um yeah i think so i was going to talk about life logging as a concept and uh maybe i'll start that next week because i've kind of been interested in it since this podcast is kind of a life logging exercise um and life logging was a thing that places like Wired wrote about four years ago in Lifehacker, but then it stopped being a thing people talked about, but something I certainly do. Um, so we'll talk about that next week, I guess. Um, all right, so, geez, in 15 minutes here, at the time of this recording, it's going to be November. Um, all right, so anyway, that is the Conrad Life Report for this week. Episode 6, uh, October 31st, 2018. I guess this will actually be up on November 1st. What song that I am on can I play as an outro? Let's see. Um, here we go. All right. See you next week, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>